0: Get ready to crack the code to better health. Join us on the Cracking Backs podcast with Dr. Jason Amstutz, where we uncover the secrets to unlocking peak performance, relieving chronic pain, and enhancing your musculoskeletal health. Discover groundbreaking techniques that blend chiropractic, osteopathy, and advanced soft tissue treatments. Don't miss this exclusive conversation with Dr. Amstutz as we delve into the science of biomechanical dysfunctions, the power of triogenics, somatherapy's fluid flow magic, LDOAs for joint health, and the synergy between osteopathic principles and traditional chiropractic practices. Whether you're an athlete or just seeking a healthier, pain-free life, this podcast is your ultimate guide to a better you?
1: All right, our man from Philly. Mm-hmm. Well, born and raised in Philly. You know, I have to start with that after after the way you started. You know Dr. Jason? You know, I I gotta when I was kind of looking you up and all that, I got fascinated because you use a combination of chiropractic and osteopathy, which is, you know. At first, when I first went to carpet, it was called the osteopaths were the enemy, and now now they're just freaking awesome. But you 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 did a combination of both and advanced soft tissue treatments in your practice. What the kind of thing I want to kick off to get listeners engaged right off the bat is what are the um, the traditional methods and what's unique benefit to the athletes and the non athletes by using these different combinations.
2: Well, I mean, if I may his, do a little historical touch in. Um, I'll be brief. The whole uh, chiropractic osteopathy thing, I didn't realize until maybe 12 or 13 years ago in my ignorance that it was really about potentially Palmer taking a look at the body after being in class with Andrew Still, right? And one person says potato, the other says potato, one says the rule of the artery is absolute, and the other said, no, it's the nerve. But And this old traditional osteopathy that's mainly alive in Europe and Canada, who I stumbled across a really phenomenal one in 2011, I mean, the answer to your question is the chiropractic construct is an incredible one, but it's not the complete package of the physiology and histology of the body. And you can talk about joint mechanics and how those things are different. Or we can talk about the physiological effects of, I don't know, breathing or whatever, all these things that have like these individual components around sports chiropractic in particular and how they all really are kind of summarized and, um, summarized and what's the proper word, um, utilized in these traditional osteopathic ways. And there's, it's a dying it's a dying art and, and thing. I th- chiropractic has actually taken a bigger stronghold in all of these European countries where traditional osteopathy is still alive, which I think is really interesting because I think, again, it's a piece of the puzzle, but it's not the broad spectrum. So more specifically to your question, I think the number one thing is the manipulation of the fluid dynamics of the body. And, you know, step one, osteo- osteopathy was the old Hemodynamics, you gotta have blood, the rule of the artery, things that we're all familiar with. Like that's what the other side was doing, right? Oh, Andrew Still, he was crazy. You gotta have blood everywhere. It's like, I don't know how crazy that is, but okay. <laughs> and then it became more of the the fascial understanding, both anatomically and physiologically, and the rest of our body is all some fluid, the whole entire thing. So when it comes to like the immediate acute injury and or the chronic ones that seem to be resurfacing with professional athletes and non-professionals, I think we start with the the move the proper movement of the fluid in the joint. Mm-hmm. And the synovial fluid specifically changes its thixotropy, which is, you know, is a big word, but it's just really the viscosity can change depending on the amount of agitation or movement. This is a very simple thing from ketchup and from paint. If you don't stir the paint, you can't put it on the wall. If you don't stir the synovial fluid, the synovial fluid will become an impedance to the ankle movement long before it's a quote-unquote subluxation or the bone doesn't move. Now, now, not not in a traumatic sense. The, The talus goes anterior because they got hit in a certain way or planted or whatever, that's great. Maybe the maybe the synovial fluid was never affected. However, post injury, even post adjustment, if you're if we're not careful, that starts to start this ebb more toward a gel or a solid and away from the really slippery viscous thing that we all study exists in that synovial joint, which is paramount for proper function. So, it's this marriage between the bone has to function exactly how we all learn it. There is no, you know, there's no hesitation in that. The people that aren't on board with manipulation and or joint biomechanics because potentially they have a different licensure. I mean, hey, that's okay too. But I mean, we all know that you got to start there. So I, that piece of the puzzle doesn't change, Doc. But I think this understanding of this fluidity we call it of the actual joint and the related joints and the chain. That potentially matters just as much as whether or not that talus is
0: anterior. How do you identify, you know, joint if you call them fixations or biomechanical dysfunctions? How are you identifying them? So, I mean, we're
2: going to talk about an extremity because it's easier. The ankle, for instance. Either way. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, well, I mean, yeah, because that's there's another can of worms behind that, which maybe we'll touch on. Um, The We'll stick with the ankle. This pumping technique, this osteoarticular pumping, which has been a construct of modern-day osteopathy around the world um, for a long time, it's a lot of general osteopathic pumping, depending on what what you're familiar with with osteopathy. But my mentor Guy Voye took it to you know the the nth level. You know, at the level that I teach the pumping in the United States, which is all first-year therapy uh, stuff that we teach that I teach. Um, it's, I don't know, three, 400 different pumping techniques first specific to the joint and every bone pretty much in all the directions that we kind of conceptually understand, but it's this more fluidic dynamic model involving both the ligaments and the fluid. Cause once you get outside of the joint, now you have to talk, now the ligaments play a role in this spring-like effect or whatever it is, it's not just a it's not just a rope, right? The, the quality of the ligament, just on the outside, called the capsule, and just outside of that, you know, pick your ATFL or whatever you like. These things all have to function as a complicated fluid dynamic system. So, to answer your question specifically, it's this pumping really becomes doc after you practice it a little bit. You start being able to feel the difference between one ankle maybe anatomically and structurally is sound because you adjusted it yesterday or you adjusted it today or somebody else adjusted it but this whole like squishy this kind of like gray area of is there a little bit of space and is there this like ability for this joint to really breathe with this fluid because the fluid in the ankle especially the mortise joint and the subtalar that is the anti compressive nature of the joint. You better not be riding on your hyaline cartilage surface of your tibia on your talus, or you'll destroy your talus. Mm -hmm. And we see that in sports all the time. Hard ground sports, you know, uh, basketball courts, NFL, because of the power and the forces, you got to have that fluid cushion in there. That's what's anti-compressive at the talus. So hopefully that answers the question.
0: So, Okay, you want to take an ankle. You know, you got 150 different ways to move an ankle. Let's say, but totally, how, are you comparing it to the other ankle? Are you comparing it to a standard in your head? How do you know it's hypermobile or hypomobile?
2: You know, I think the hyper mobile is you know we're talking about either end maybe of a spectrum, right? So from the hypomobile thing, the first thing that goes is is there does it have this um, liquid? Kind of feeling to it. Is it free? Is the whole thing free and the talus is still out of place? That's a different feeling ankle than the one where the guy sprained it or the woman sprained it six other times since 19, you know, since uh, 2010. Mm -hmm. And that one feels like not only is the talus and the thing stiff, but the whole thing, number one, it looks a little more swollen than the other side. It's like, oh yeah, the fluid never went away in that thing. It's still healing. I'm like, when was the last time you cut yourself? How long did it take to heal? Yeah. 16 days, okay, you don't have a healing problem. You got a <laughs> fixotropic ankle fluid dynamic problem. Yeah. And so comparing it to the other side, if you're lucky, the other side's normal, right? Depends on what sport. Yeah. <laughs> right. And if you don't have that, you really develop this this other sense of this this micro movement. Like if we talk about a mechanical thing, I speak a lot about the micro movement of the joint. The micro movement of the talus in this case would be plantar flexion. The talus slides anteriorly, does a little bit of an internal rotation and goes down on the facet of the calcaneus, right? Nice. Like those are the micro pieces of that system, if you will. And then when you go into dorsiflexion, it sure is heck better move posteriorly and do the anti of that, the reverse of that, so it can hide so the ankle can dorsiflex, dorsiflex properly. So. Sometimes you can make these things happen because they're loaded or because, you know, oh yeah, it kind of works or moves. And it's really not a joint fixation anymore, but it still doesn't feel right. And this is when you get into this gray area of the fluid. There's got to be something with the fluid. We're not talking about blood. I'm not talking about there's too much venous, you know, there's not enough venous return and you get to just, that's a different problem, right? Like that has to be accounted for too. You got to be able to tell the difference but a lot of these older chronic injuries i believe sh- show up in the office is not only a more of a joint fixation but also the the fluid cha- if the fluid is not constantly moving it gets thicker because it stagnates and pulls there and then it's harder to get out it's harder to change the fluid to to go out and that's is, a big piece
0: is that when you talk about pumping the joint
2: and- yeah you're pumping taking, the joint to okay. change cuz so the pumping of the joint from a basic fundamental understanding is i'm creating a bigger volume which drops the pressure slightly mm-hmm. and then i'm starting to oscillate that i let it go and then it increases the pressure well it's this change in pressure that will ultimately change the fluid dynamics in the joint and part of that fluid dynamics is not only to move it but to also change the viscosity and if you do that i mean this is where it's a lot different mm-hmm. Sometimes with some of these chronic ankles, if that's the big thing, maybe I have to do whatever technique 100, 150 times. Mm. But you'll change it right on the table.
0: So different Both than, the look and the feel. Different than HVLA or high velocity, low amplitude manipulation. You're talking about gentle pumping and certain directions?
2: Yeah. T- depending on which way, potentially depending on which way the bone needs to move. Similar to an adjustment mindset. Or first and foremost is you got to have space and you have to have fluid. So the number one place in the ankle is you sure as heck better have space between the talus and the tibia. Mm -hmm. And that and the fluid that's in there, if it's not already squeezed out because you got an x-ray and the whole thing's compressed together, that doesn't mean it's gone. That means that space needs to be returned. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully the liquid fills in the difference. Now you have a protected talus from the tibia banging on it over and over. And that's when we see what? Compression fractures, bony edema and changes in young athletes. And they start destroying their talus. High
0: ankle sprains.
2: High ankle sprain. That's a big mechanism, right? The talus turns so much. It wedges the tibia and fibula from each other, injures the the ligaments involved. But very early, like the next day, you can pump the joint. And then, for some of us, right, you can also adjust that talus the next day after that too, which helps with this process of the body naturally moving the fluids. Because you don't need to be pumped to have proper fluid movement; you just need the proper joint biomechanics and use the joint.
0: That's the normal way. Guy comes in with a a near hip. Are you going to check the ankle first, or maybe, or secondarily? Are you going to what are you going to do?
2: I mean in in this particular osteopathy and you talk about joint biomechanics and fluid dynamics in the same conversation it all starts with the pelvis because all of the chains of the ankle and foot end up at the ilium or the sacrum so if the ilium and the sacrum aren't doing their micro movement micro dance you can have a downstream fluid problem let alone a biomechanical one and yes those are those are related, obviously, right? But I want to bring them apart just for this conversation. Mm-hmm. So, but that doesn't mean I don't check the foot and ankle. Anybody that, you know, if you read enough books and you understand enough, you've been around, it's like, okay, obviously the big toe's gotta to function, the ankle's gotta move correctly for sure. But if they have a bigger problem at their pelvis and they came into me for a knee or a hip, I put more stock in the
0: in the pelvis. Day one. Interesting. You know, I really appreciate Dr. Terry. I got to tell you, man. You know, selfishly, these are things that we've learned, and when we talk to people like that, we talk to people like Dr. Jason, it resurrects all this. It's like, of course, what you know. Sometimes right. we're off in different directions, and that's a beautiful thing to to recall or remember. So, I I, 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 have, a, I have a challenge. Uh, I have a well. It's been a challenge. It's since been fixed, but um, <clears> it was a uh, NFL referee that his whole world was running backwards and he ended up what appeared like every once in a while, he got this zapping pain in his ankle because what I had determined was that the talus would, would subluxate or would, would uh, be in the wrong place at the wrong time just ever so slightly. And, you know, he would be like sh- jolted at the worst times, you know, during a pl- you know, during refereeing and a <laughs> right? You know, so <clears throat> at what point now? I'm thinking hypermobility. Well, how would you have approached a situation like that, or am I not I, giving you enough data?
2: Uh, uh, I mean, it's just yeah. That, that's that's a tough question because of the because of the data thing. But we'll just assume for a second. We'll just take it down right to the, to the ankle. I mean, yeah. That's a, here, the talus is notoriously. has to move anterior underneath these forces, whether you're running backwards or running forward, because full plantar flexion, the talus slides forward. I think one of the biggest challenges Mm -hmm. through this this methodology is we don't spend enough time on the anterior restraints, which are the tendons, Mm -hmm. anti, or I'm sorry, anteromalleolar. The ones that are in front of the malleolus, they don't get enough attention. We have so much Retromalleolar strength and tension, posterior tib, flexor halysis, soleus, Achilles, Achilles. gastrox, versus the extensor digitorum, the extensor hallucis longus, uh, the peroneus brevis. No, no, those are retro. I mean, that's really kind of it. Peroneus tertius. If they have a peroneus tertius which is in 14% of the people, yeah. then they have an extra anterior restraint to the talus going forward. So what I have found, we all since we're all chiropractors, let's assume we know how to put it posteriorly and we're on to the next thing. And mm-hmm. those cases, we actually shorten and the, and the tip anterior. We shorten all of the mechanisms anteriorly to provide the next level of restraint in front of the talus and the capsule and the blah, 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 To help balance out, to help balance out whether or not that thing has more of a bias to go forward, like maybe what you're describing is you kick it a little more or it pinches in the back because now it moved too far forward. Mm -hmm. But I think very quickly we our hands need to be off of them and they need to be helping discern this tensegrity puzzle, which is part fluid dynamics and part tension relationships and things of that nature.
0: So, how would you approach supporting all the anterior support tendons? I mean, how how, what would we shorten? We shorten them,
2: and we use those. We if this is my ankle, and I want to do my tip anterior, and I do you know your normal dorsiflexion Dorsiflexion. under resistance with full range. The problem with that is if we're talking about a bad talus position over and over dynamically, you don't want it to be able to go so far forward. So then you do what we call the internal range of training. You can train a muscle in a couple of different ways. You can train it in its full range. The joint goes through its full range of motion, no problem. That, that provides, that's good for most joints and most tissue. Sometimes you want the muscle to only be worked at the end range closer to its longest because you have a tendon problem. That we call that the external range. I have a, I'm currently dealing with a patellofemoral kind of fat pad issue quad tendon articularis genu problem mm-hmm. and all of my knee extensions I only do from max flexion to halfway to put a lot more stress on my tendon. We call that the external range. That's good if you need to lengthen something while you're strengthening it. Rec fem is always notorious for that
0: okay, back to the ankle because I want to be clear on oh something. sorry sorry okay so I was just
2: describing the, the yeah, motion yeah, yeah. sorry and then you have the internal one which is you're at max contraction dorsiflexion in this case and only go halfway. The other way. And if you do that over time, you'll actually shorten the tendon and shorten the complex. That's advantageous in many places. And for this talus anterior, potentially doing it too much because they run backward all the time. Maybe that's part of the strategy for the like all those muscles I mentioned, you shorten them a little bit all to right. help better restrain the, the talus.
0: I want to get crystal clear. <clears throat> this is your ankle. This, 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 <laughs> right. this, this is the front and mm-hmm. you're talking about dorsiflexion but if you want to strengthen the anterior tendons if,
2: mm-hmm. no you if go, you want to shorten if you want to shorten, shorten the anterior tendons yes shorten okay you're mm-hmm. going
0: from which way from from here to here from maximum
2: from, re- from maximum dorsiflexion ah. to only halfway into plantar flexion
0: so just okay
2: that will that will bias over time you shorten from periosteum tendon aponeurosis tendon periosteum and that is advantageous in a lot of cases doc and i think that's a big overlooked concept that that the hamstrings need to be shorter quote unquote in a lot of people because of all the anterior pelvic tilt problems same thing you got the quads dominating anteriorly you got the hamstrings that get three sets of 10 if you're lucky and, you know and over time you get this big wound up Pelvis. Well, you can stretch the front all you want, but you might also consider shortening some of these other things. Potentially, wow. the low abs. The abs is another one. Sometimes your abs need to be short in an athlete, not long, to help fight against that anterior gravity line, anterior pelvic tilt, all whatever we want to call it.
0: Okay, okay, okay. You you, you said hamstrings. <laughs> I got to I got to ask you. Uh oh. All right, hamstring strains. Because of overextension, so you want to shorten them? Or am I not, give, not, am I not being fair with asking?
2: Well, well I mean, I think for this discussion, I think we got to go back to the deep constructs. Like I'm really trying to hone this talk yeah. for next yeah. week specifically. <laughs> You've got, un- you got to understand the pelvis first. Yeah. If these guys are running around with an outflare, we call it an osteopathy. And it's the same thing in Gonstead talk as an anterior ilium. And A, what is that, A-I-E-X or I-N, A-I, okay. that's with the rotation, right? You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying yeah. to say, yeah. right? Yeah. If I take the ilium and I rotate it anteriorly, my ischial tube on that side goes furthest from the ground. Right. Now, I've preloaded my hamstring. That negates all conversations in my head of how do you prevent the injury? Are they overstretching it? It's like, well, if the pelvis is stuck in that bad position, yeah. you're going to keep blowing it. So that's that's the hardest part because a lot of times we're intervening with other licensed professionals, right, as part of our team. And it's like, hey, well, the hamstring is this or that. It's like, okay, that's great. But what's the pelvis doing underneath? Because that matters more. Sorry, that's the master. And it's not because I'm a chiropractor. That's just the master because that's the deep-seated problem. You can't work your way around that, in my opinion. You can try.
0: Yeah, I love it. All right. that.
2: That's wow. an interesting, I mean, the hamstring thing and injury prevention, right? Like that's yeah. where I think a lot of this stuff can can really have an impact.
0: Well, I definitely speak your language on the hamstring thing because I'm always conscientious about where that ischium is in right. relation to the other side. Yeah. Right. Okay, question. Okay, I'm moving off of that now. Let me ask you. <laughs> I could actually stay on that <laughs> a little bit can, more. Can we,
2: st- <laughs> do, can we stay on it for less than 60 seconds?
0: Hell Yeah. Okay. Uh,
2: I'd like to add this part to it too. I think the difference in the tendon physiology, distal tendon versus proximal tendon is totally different. And I think that happens because we train too much knee flexion and we don't make the superior tendon more robust by using the pelvis as the movable piece and not the tibia. So in this paradigm, we, we anchor the knee like you would, almost like a um, what's that new exercise that's caught on so much? The nor the uh, the Nordic. You guys know what I'm talking about. Ex, explain uh, the one. That's the one where you're like kneeling you're- and your feet are locked in, and I'm on my I'm on my knees and my oh, ankles are locked. God, the yes. Nordic. That's okay, hard. so if, if you do the Nordic in the way that they ask you to do it, you're still overloading the distal tendon. We never tear our, our, our distal tendon because of exercises like that and all the hamstring mm-hmm. curls. Mm-hmm. However, if you took that same exercise and you just loaded it a little bit with leaning forward, but then you took my pelvis and you made the athlete move from the pelvis without moving the knee, now you are more accentuating the proximal tendon. That's how you make a more robust Proximal tendon, which is where all these tears are.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Hold on. Sorry. Mm. You're right. I know I've got like three <laughs> patients. I'm dealing with that right now. I'm sticking needles up there. I mean, uh, in their, right. uh, in their, <laughs> right, right. close Sorry. to <laughs> their butt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to. He's
1: he's in Florida,
0: yeah, you know? Yeah. Right. That's permissible. <laughs> oh, this, I think this show just went X rated. All right. So <laughs> let me, let me uh, Okay. So what if, what would be like you know they uh, they got that thing called the butt blaster? They're on all fours and the and they, the foot is you know they're 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 facing that yep. and they're pushing mm-hmm. up, but more right. more more uh, femur and pelvis you know more femur and ischium mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. Would that is that that's going to focus more on the
2: no? If is the knee bent or the knee straight? Bent. The knees bent, then you're gonna get more glute max than you're gonna get hamstring. Uh, and okay I mean, in, in my opinion, yeah, not that you're not yeah, gonna yeah, use the proximal yeah. ham. That's why we do RDLs, right? We do an RDL because we're trying <sighs> to load more of the hip flexor mechanism for the hamstring. But the problem with that exercise compared to what that's I'm true. describing
1: mm-hmm.
2: is you if anybody said just move your pelvis while you're doing an RDL, everybody in the gym would throw you out. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz it doesn't look good for your back. So <laughs> but but the whole thing's but this concept, I mean this is this is the con- the concept is if I want to move more with the proximal tendon, I fix the bottom piece and I move from the top piece. And if I do the opposite, I lay my I lay down face down on a leg curl machine. Now I fix my pelvis automatically. My pelvis doesn't move. And then I do a knee flexion exercise that uses and makes a more robust distal tendon, which is great, but you have to do the same math for the upper one. Wow.
0: Of course. That is. Right? Yeah. Can we have a yeah,
1: moment Yeah, it's of- crazy.
2: This guy, this guy, I mean, not only is he the world's foremost anatomist and fascial expert, but he also, more than any other osteopath in history that I've ever heard of, he teaches two years of exercise. In his osteopathy program. If you can't reinforce these things that we're doing with our hands on a daily basis and you're throwing them out to the wolves, have you really helped them? They got to come to your table again next week.
0: I can't wait to do this. Oh, hmm. I can't wait to get
2: <laughs> so too bad we're doing the too bad we're doing the upper limb. <laughs> next week <laughs> maybe we could change it Brenda you want me to change us. it and i yeah. get to change everything already <laughs> 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 we'll,
0: we'll buy you dinner we can do a private uh private right. lecture yeah i got gotcha, you i got gotcha. you <laughs> all right let me ask <clears throat> you about um if you could shed some light on manipulating uh, tell me about this gamma bias of muscle fibers and you know if you can the ga- you the, ga- the
2: gamma bias the gamma bias stuff
0: yeah what is, tell me about that
2: So you know who I originally learned that from is um, that really smart DC out of Toronto. Like there's so many of them. But this one in particular, he's from Estonia and he started Trigenics. Mm -hmm. You guys guys know who I'm talking about? I can't believe I can't remember his name. I feel really bad. He's like one of my early mentors before I even got out of chiropractic school.
0: Is this one of the machines that- that No, no,
2: no machine. All hands-on manipulation based on- Motor points in muscle, so it's part acupuncture mm-hmm. with your hands. Mm-hmm. But the gamma bias is the resting potential, resting tension or tone of the muscle at rest. You can't be at a zero. Mm-hmm. You've got to be measuring on an EMG or you'd be a pile on the floor. Dead man. Right. Yeah. Well, you'd just be a puddle. You wouldn't necessarily have to be dead, but you couldn't get up. You know what I mean? You'd have to be like, oh, I'm going to get up now. Now I'm going to fire this and go erect. So, mm. this resting muscle tension or tone, the gamma bias, um, is a big part of injury. And this is when we see an ankle injury. And if not, if you don't try to reactivate all of these separate pieces in the trigenics model, or for us more globally, if you don't turn the dimmer switch back on for those things that got shut off because I injured my Achilles or I injured my plantar fascia, you know, there's a whole new program that goes into walking now. Don't hurt this. Don't walk this way because it hurts. Mm-hmm. That turns down all the dimmer switches. Mm-hmm. Now I went from a 50, whatever, some made-up number, down to a 10 or a 20. I can still walk and ambulate and do things, but now I'm lifting my ankle too soon on my whatever, Mm-hmm. If you don't reprogram that as their yeah. part of their rehab, the dimmer switch is still off. And they'll pass every motor test or every pattern test. You know, um, what's the proper terminology I'm looking for, guys? These these screenings, these, motor screen, these um, movement screens.
0: Movement screens, yeah.
2: They'll pass the movement screen all day long. And yeah, I mean, these guys can pass the movement screens after the first time you showed it to them. Right? Like you did the movement screen on them. I had a guy from the Falcons a long time ago and we got to talking and he's like, oh, the second time I went in there, I was no better, but I aced the test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like you're going to, those guys, those guys can cheat the system after one or two reps. Yeah. So anyway, the gamma bias is a big piece of have to making sure you reset all the, the, um, the dimmer switches back to their proper so then you can really go through your rehab and not have any you know um uh, inhibition because that in you know you get muscle inhibition right whether it's from a joint injury orthogenic or one from your back but also just a movement pattern that was once detrimental to
0: their high ankle sprain
2: is now safe
0: hmm. Go back to the tone <clears throat> you know we tone, mm-hmm. tone when when is there <clears throat> I mean we we could feel you know, texture in a muscle, we call it spasm and, you know, at rest, Mm -hmm. but how are you referring to tone and, and managing?
2: I'm talking on the upper echelons of function, right? Like this isn't going to be something the guy's dragging his toe because the muscles turned off. Right. I mean, you know, that's the other end, this end potentially, uh, I mean, in the Trigenics way, they do a, a, just a manual muscle test just to see if the thing's fully engaged and if the timing's good and stuff like that. But from a more functional perspective, I think, and if you can't see it really in a movement screen, I mean, you really just go back to repatterning the movement like the day after the injury in the pool completely unweighted and you have them go through a regular walking, striding, running thing, no matter what their injury Because that way the program never gets the program gets messed up for a day or two, but you just retrain the whole neuroplastic problem that happens as a cascade effect of an injury. And I learned all that stuff from this really smart athletic trainer out of Philly, um, Bill Knowles, who has been using the pool as his main modality for injury prevention and fixing injuries for like 30 plus years. His whole construct is. Every injury that ends up, whether it's a surgery or on our table, is a physical, mechanical problem, but at the same time, at the same place, you also have a, an injury to your brain and in that, in essence, I'm not talking a head injury, I'm talking about your ankle, that changes the way they walk. Mm-hmm. And If you wait until the end of rehab to reestablish this because now they're finally running after six months, you just missed five months and 30 days that you could have restored that the day after they had ACL surgery.
0: There's a paper out there that this is an appropriate time to bring it up. There was a a paper done where they did MRIs of the brain uh, to see what activities were going on, what areas of the brain were highlighted uh, uh, pre-ACL surgery and post ACL surgery, so mm-hmm. what they found was that you know all the limping and all the you know uh, you know comp- compensating that you were doing, nursing this injury while you're trying to walk or run, remap the brain so deeply that even post surgery you were still showing the altered gait.
2: Doc, those guys end up back on the field, cleared from the ortho.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: With that kind of programming, that's so Bill Knowles talked about that study and then he also talked about another one which I think is really interesting and only just for mention in this conversation. That's another ACL paper that they had showed the upregulation of the eyes post-ACL injury because now the person has to look around to make sure they don't mess up their knee. So you do that to a football player you train them in the gym, their knees totally fine, you're doing all this. He goes out to catch his first pass and he goes to look at the ball and doesn't look at his knee and guess what happens? He loses all proprioceptive awareness of his limb and he re-tears. Ooh, I love
0: <laughs> That's some really that's interesting great. stuff, yeah, right? That's, that's some fantastic. really interesting stuff. Yeah. Oh, I love I love when they start looking at all these other things other than right the injury itself. Right, right. That's fascinating thanks for sharing that because uh no no problem i thought i was like blown
2: away this guy's lecture alone i was just like wow there's another whole world of not understanding out there and the papers and the research are just catching up to what he's been doing for 30 years that's one of the most powerful things about what he because he's just been doing it anecdotally and nobody wants to hear about experience everybody wants to hear about research. research it's like, yeah. well, guess what? The research comes, you know, 20, 30 years after 20 other people already dis- discovered the same thing in their, la- in their lab with their patient or in the gym or whatever, you know, yeah. it's not the other way
0: around. is he so not
2: waiting for that bus.
0: <laughs> is there anything that you would do? I mean, in particular that you learned uh, in restoring mapping of the brain after an AC let's say an ACL or whatever you know an ankle whatever lower li- anything lower limb hip knee ankle foot
2: yeah I mean this deep water running this deep water running with a floated athlete I mean you go right back to put to, to redeveloping that motor program literally the day after surgery you got to know what you're doing I mean you got to be able to understand wound dressing and all these things everybody shouldn't run out and do it but conceptually. That's, that's the kind of place we are. If we're in charge of post-surgical athletes, which some of us are, not everybody is, or if you're part of a team that is responsible for that, you know, I think you got to really look at that neuroplastic change to get, that, to get those new found bad programs out of there as quickly as possible. And you can apply that to any limb or any injury.
0: What about without a pool? What would you do? Yeah.
2: Without the pool? Yeah. Would you I do not
0: balance pad or a, a BOSU ball? No, you'd, have to, you'd have to stuff? work.
2: I'm just talking about simple gait. I'm oh, just, oh,
0: oh, right. Of course.
2: I'm just yeah. talking about walking. But the problem is if you hurt your ankle bad enough, it doesn't matter how much you want to wish to do it on day one. If you're not in the pool and he puts his foot on the ground, it's going to hurt and there's going to be a compensation. That's why potentially I haven't come up with a way where the same thing applies outside of the pool, Doc.
0: Oh, although... They got that zero gravity treadmill. I forget what they call that, that thing that's worth a billion
2: dollars. $50,000 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that could be, it's okay, but it's really, if you've ever used it, I've had one in in some other facilities where I've worked, and they're hanging you from a diaper from your pelvis. You know what I mean? And if we're going to talk about the pelvis, you can't be hanging me from a diaper.
0: I got it. I got it.
2: Now, can right. you take the ankle through a Very similar negative. range of motion? yeah, now you start monkeying with the puppeteer up there, who's the the pelvis right so <laughs>
0: yeah, it's you know that's
2: my it. only thing with that
0: makes sense makes
2: yeah, sense. the pool's a big the bull, the pool is a big challenge, but it's also I'm telling you you get into the pool and you st- you need to learn from this guy. It's like revolutionary
0: it's great, but i want to mm. learn i, I want to learn it makes you. sense,
2: right? it makes yeah. sense.
0: I want to learn from you about soma therapy. Tell me.
2: Soma therapy. Soma therapy. Okay. So, my mentor, Guy Voyer, has had his own osteopathy schools in places like Toronto, and he still has one in uh, Montreal. Um, so, he brings, he, he gets brought over 20 years ago or 21 years ago by some really advanced trainers in this country. They hear about this weird French guy who's doing these exercises mainly to improve the space in the disc. And this is what potentially he's the most well-known for around the world right now. Eldoa, E-L-D-O-A. Have you guys heard about that before?
0: Just from you. Okay.
2: (laughs) So it's basically these exercises where you put tension to open up L5 or to open up L4 or to open up L3, fill in the blank. So – He brings So somebody finds out about him, and I'm not sure exactly who it was, and it probably doesn't matter for this conversation. Um, And they're like, hey, we need to get this crazy French guy from Montreal to come down and teach us some of this weird exercise that he's doing that is supposedly really helping take better care of bulging discs and myofascial stretching and accounting for all the fiber directions and all of this stuff. So they bring him in the United States. He starts teaching a couple of classes in, like, hotel lobbies and stuff like that, like (laughs) – You know, total cowboy style, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, And it starts to build enough awareness in this country where then doctors of chiropractic in particular, two of the big ones, Keith Pine and Mark Lindsay, hear about this guy and they're like, hey, we got to learn more of like this exercise stuff is incredible. We want to learn more about your hands-on approach and what you're doing differently. So instead of going to Montreal for seven years and going through his entire osteopathy program... He starts, he plants two little pods in the United States. One program, the SOMA training, which is 14 courses of his exercise, which I recommend to any chiropractor listening. And that's a whole nother realm of training and looking at the body. And then he also had another spinoff, which is um, 13 courses of therapy hands-on. And that's what I'm teaching now in the United States. I started in 2016. So it's the first year's pumping, three courses. The next year's fascial treatment, specifically to the ones that we can treat, get your hands literally on. Mm -hmm. Third year is this tendon and ligamentous manipulation. Um, And then the fourth year is treating the four principal diaphragms of the body, which starts with the thoracic diaphragm treatment, then the cervical thoracic diaphragm treatment, pelvic diaphragm treatment, and then finally is the cranial vault, the cranial diet, because that's a diaphragm too, a very sophisticated one. Wow. So in 2010, those same gentlemen wanted to know what the everything that he knew about concussion because fluid dynamics of the joint and the hip is one thing. But if you start to understand and apply this fluid dynamic concept to the brain, to the problems of post-concussion problems, mm-hmm. now you're really onto something. Mm-hmm. So then they asked him, "Hey, we, we'd like you to teach us all you know about concussion." He said, "How many years do you have?" And then part of that was these thirteen courses, just to get your feet wet and really understanding and really understanding the fluid dynamics of the brain. Say his name again, Guy Voyer.
0: Oh, I was I was. Pronouncing it like a gringo guy, voyeur. Uh, that's but, uh, all right. Uh, that, that,
2: work, that works too. Yeah, whatever.
0: Guy voyeur. I don't think you
2: care. French don't care if you call him a, a, a voyeur, you know? Voyeur.
0: <laughs> <laughs> guy voyeur. So I want to add, <clears throat> but I read, I read something about self-decoaptation. Uh, Am I saying yes. that right? Tell me, mm-hmm. what is that? Self-decoaptation.
1: Self-de-coapt-
2: that's the Eldoa So that's the Americanized version name Ooh. for that Eldoa concept, which is opening up the joint, opening up, a you know, between L4 and L5, or opening up the hip, or opening up the AC joint, or opening up the glenohumeral joint, or any of the ones where you, the patient, can open it up yourself. I mean, these are some fundamental things. Now you don't need a set of hands, or if you do, and you only see somebody once a week, Mm -hmm. they spend the other six days doing these LDOAs, this self-decoaptation, they're creating their own space and fluid and flow on their own time, which makes it
0: more permanent wow. what do you think about motion palpation? Like I it, think it, it sounds like you, you're kind of doing some of that no
2: y- yeah I mean I think motion palpation that was uh, Leonard Fay stuff, correct?
0: Yeah, and uh, is that right and another Frenchman Gillet. Oh,
2: and Gillet, (laughs) who wrote those papers that we read when we were in
0: chiropractic school. Right, right, right. So
2: if I'm not mistaken, Leonard Fay studied with some osteopaths also.
0: Mm, Probably so.
2: Probably so, right? Like, for sure. So anyway, um, yeah, motion palpation. of course. You've got to be able to, we and osteopaths and other people, you've got to understand the constructs of how the joints move. If you're missing that piece, you can do whatever you want to the glute max and the hamstring and whatever else. But that is the fundamental. That is fundamental, as we say. Yeah. The joint movement is fundamental. Wow.
0: It's a lot of juicy
1: stuff. All right. I I, I gotta <laughs> jump in on something. <clears throat> Even though, you know, I I like I'm like sitting back and enjoying this. You know, listening to this about osteopaths, you know, is actually thank you because it's giving me a whole new light about osteopaths. Um, it seems like lately they've gone into the world of regenerative medicine and they're they're all about injecting now and doing stuff like that. And it sounds like they've lost some of the the history of the art, what made them great. And they fall into this regenerative medicine. What's your thoughts? Well, on that? I mean,
2: we're, you're talking about a different osteopath. You're talking about a deal in this country, which is they long lost their way when they got brought in underneath the Um, You know, we got shamed and all of the rest of it, right? Our history. And then they took the stepchild and invited them into their camp. Mm-hmm. And so, so the, the they're great. Yes, some of them have a little bit of a different mind based on where they went to school, but that's all becoming extinct. Yeah. Like what used to be the big school of manipulation in the DO program in the in this country was University of Michigan, and or Michigan State. I forget which one. And now there's really now. If you're lucky to have a DO, they 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 still manipulate. But, so I'm talking, no, so a long time ago, everybody, all this education and all of this traditional stuff was only, again, Canada, Europe, and different parts of Japan and New Zealand and Australia, where they recognize that we're talking all the same language, chiropractors, and these types of osteopaths. The type of osteopath that you're talking about, they hang out with MDs and they do injections and that's really awesome, but they don't have the understanding of the biomechanics. They didn't even get any of that.
0: It is fascinating. Mm. Ever since they, I mean, like you can go to a do that's a gynecologist now,
2: right? Exactly. You know, it's just yeah. That's a different do. That's know. a doctor of osteopathy. All these other do programs around the world, England, France, and Germany, where maybe the best ones in the world are in Canada. They're a diploma of osteopathy. Mm. Oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah, I yeah, mean that's just a semantics thing. But I mean, even in my studies. That you know, if I decide to write my thesis, which I sh- hopefully will after all these years and all this money and time, and defend it, then it would be a it would be a diploma of osteopathy. It would it would never even reg- It
0: doesn't even register in this country. Wow.
2: It, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Mm. So
0: I mean, you know, have you learned osteopathic maneuvers versus all
2: know? the osteopathic maneuvers, doc, are all chiropractic? You wouldn't. You <laughs> never. There's no difference now. Now, when you talk about this pumping, because that's an osteopathic construct. Now, yes, that's different. That looks and feels different. But the the HVLA and the manipulation yeah. is exactly the same. I
0: love that. Oh my hmm. God. it. Cool. Yeah, great. yeah.
2: There's no. There's. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's some different people that came up with some different techniques, but no different than we have a bunch of awesome adjusters and minds in our profession that have different ways of wow, I never knew I could adjust an navicular like that. And you're like, then you do that the rest of your career. You're like, that's
0: the greatest thing I've ever seen. Right. Right. I, yeah. <laughs> right. But I always heard, you know, osteopaths, they do the long lever, you know, mobilization thing. I, I that, that's from like a hundred. It depends
2: it depends on which camp. Yes. If they were part of a different, you know, tree of influence yeah, there's more of them that did more long, long lever maneuvers or they do this, uh, or they just do mobilizations. Yeah. This is like this osteopathy that, that, that we're involved in is like some old school chiropractic and some new school fascial anatomy and fluid dynamics. And that is a perfect marriage in sports.
0: That is great. I love it. Yeah. It's good. Terrific. So we're at a. At a point where we love this section that we're going to go into, it's called the rapid fire questions. <laughs> and I think you'll handle it quite well because okay. you seem to be quick on your feet. And some of the questions have absolutely nothing to do with nothing, but you'll have an answer.
2: <laughs> oh, okay, perfect. And make based something on, up.
0: Yep, based on the <laughs> based on the theme, rapid fire. Your answer <laughs> should be. Somewhat, at least a sentence or two, but then we end up going off on a tangent anyway. So if you're ready, I got five of them for you. Are you ready. ready. I'm ready. Dr. Jason, question number one. When you travel, what is the one thing you always have with you?
2: My EMF canceling device.
0: Oh, that was good. That
2: was good. Is it a wallet? Is it a...
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> did
2: you get to hear did you hear that? You guys froze for a second.
0: Oh, is it a wallet? Is it uh what is, I what is a, it? I have a <laughs> I have a just happen to have it on me right now, right?
2: Buddy, always. This is from a company called Aries Tech. I've had one of these. I've had one of these for, I don't know, seven or eight years, and it changes because now is now there's 5G. Uh yeah. The old ones just blocked four G and just helped manipulate four G. So yeah. that's my number one travel thing.
1: Ooh, good one. See how we go off on a tangent. No, does that Thank affect you. your credit. It, it doesn't affect credit cards or anything like that. Does no, it? no, you not wallet? at all. No, his testicles. He keeps yeah. it near his testicles.
2: <laughs> that's where it's. That's where it should be. That's right. You want? Hey, you want to castrate a society? You bombard the testicles with five G. That'll sterilize everybody.
0: And I put my phone right next to my, my uh, in my front pocket too. Perfect. Beautiful, right? <laughs> I already have kids. I don't have to worry. Yeah,
2: exactly. Me too. Me too. So, so I'm a little great. less. Yeah, yeah. I wear it around my neck now, yeah, not around my balls. Yeah, yeah
0: good idea. <laughs> oh, that, that is a beautiful, that was beautiful. Question number two. <laughs> Question number two, you're traveling. What is your wake up good morning routine?
2: What is my wake-up good morning routine? I drink a liter of water on an empty stomach. Highest quality water I can get my hands on when I travel, which is sometimes hard. Yeah, And then I go through a little quick four-minute warm-up to get the heat going in my body. And I do four or five Aldoas self-decoaptation mm-hmm. stretches
0: in the morning first thing when I get out of bed. I want to see what those are. When we get together in Vegas, I want to see <laughs> um, Is there a particular water you drink?
2: Um, it depends on the application but the cleaner more ancient aquifer based water that you can get your hands on non-plastic matters i mean it depends on who you talk to i got a french i have a french um uh mentor so you know the first four on the top of my head are all french waters that's you know that's no mystery but there's plenty of good water in this country mountain valley springs seems to test out really well out of arkansas um and there's some others but i mean that's the most important vital nutrient that we ignore everybody wants to talk about organic foods and this and that and that's all well and good and grass-fed and i'm on board with all of that but if you're drinking shitty water like come on (laughs)
1: so
2: so perrier perrier no perrier's got fake bubbles perrier Perrier, that's yeah, that's manufactured bubbles. If you put manufactured carbonation into water, mm-hmm. it drops the acidity to like two point three.
0: Oh, for God's
2: sake! You might as well drink a Coca Cola.
0: <laughs> I'm a big club what soda about, drinker. Uh, Was it Fiji? Were, I'm, I'm gonna get hammered. I mean, yeah.
2: hey, Fiji's Fiji's great. That's a great one. It comes in plastic. That's not you know, but hey, that's a really good aquifer. That's volcanically filtered and every, and it gets the the energy and the minerals from that. That's good. That's definitely good. There's better, but that's good.
0: All right. All right. Question number three. What is <clears throat> what is the one thing you wish you had learned earlier in your career?
2: Earlier in my career. Ooh, I think we got him. I think, I, I, I mean, I think, I think, uh, this, this fluid model, this dynamic fluid model of the body, I think that needs to be in schools. Like this is not like this isn't rocket science. This is how every body walks around. Mm-hmm. Like where's the eighty percent water when the kid's born? There's not swimming pools of it in there. Mm-hmm. It's in the tissue. It's in the collagen tube. It's in the extracellular matrix. It's in the blood. The water's in the blood and a handful of other places. That's it. We need to be masters of the water and the fluids of the body. If I learned that early on,
0: that would have have been huge. That's pretty cool. Hmm. Question number four, what is one thing you would like to be remembered for? The legacy.
2: I think breaking down the licensure barriers of learning in this country. That's like one of my things that we should all be – whether we're a dc or a pt or a fill in the blank abc none of that matters we're all studying the same human performance body biology physiology like we all need to be helping each other and have the same similar foundation now that doesn't mean everybody's got to learn to manipulate but this is what i teach my students if you're here and you're not if you're not a dc and you're not manipulating then you want to be in this paradigm you better go partner up and find a good chiropractor you can't do it without it everybody th- oh and you know and that's another that's what's a rub for me in schools these days these kids are getting out and they're not even adjusting mm-hmm. everybody's yeah. the new mm-hmm. soft tissue wonder kid i'm like buddy yeah. Yeah. right yeah. like that's got to stop yeah i don't that's not part of my agenda my agenda is just like hey we all need to be studying together like i need yeah. to be you know involved in pt things not just
0: chiropractic things Question number five and the final question for our rapid fire questions is simply: What is your favorite exercise?
2: What is my favorite exercise? <sighs> Boy, oh, man, I think the biggest can of worms, one which I'll leave for the last one, is a true proper body weight squat. We use the we use the squat as the ultimate complex coordination between the pelvis, the hip, the knee, the ankle, and the foot and the spine and the head and the scapular girdle. Wow. Love that. Love it. And most people can't do it with just body weight properly.
0: That is fantastic. Mm. Yeah.
1: You, you know, I, I've, <clears throat> uh, I wanted to say it earlier. Cause you, when you first started this podcast, you said something about, Oh, we can go down that can of worms. I've been, When you what the hell the can of worms was. Oh, oh,
2: going down that path. Hey, it's just that the the pelvis is the center of the fascial connectedness universe of the body. Interesting. And all that means if a headache comes in, you go to the pelvis. If an ache comes in, you go to everything is linked to the pelvis. The TMJ is only three connections away from my pelvis. It It only takes three, and I've already messed up my TMJ. Interesting, so that's that's yeah, the that's can cool. of worms is like the pelvis, and the pelvis unfortunately in the in a, a lot of the world is like still oh, it barely moves. What's that guy talking about? He's selling you a hill of beans, all these researchers, all these people on Instagram, <laughs> oh, is your doctor telling you your pelvis is out of place? It's like if you had any clue what <laughs> that outflare that ilium problem with the hamstring. And the downstream consequences of that truly are, I mean, come on. Like, you can't even argue with that.
1: Mm. Fantastic. So true. You know, you have a background also among all your other stuff in strength and conditioning as Mm -hmm. well as injury prevention. How do you uh, integrate that? strength and conditioning, along with the holistic approach for increasing out that performance?
2: I mean, I really have handed that off to people that spend their life doing strength and conditioning. When I made the turn, you know, I did the strength and conditioning and training, helping myself financially put myself through chiropractic school. And that was a great place because you got to understand all that stuff, you know, and and I can talk the language and now I got the letters and all that stuff so I can talk to a trainer. But ultimately, when they get to a certain point in the post-surgical Return to play process, you know, those people that are way better than that than me. But we uh-huh. set the foundation, we set the foundation <laughs> with all these proper what, you know, segmentally segmental capability is really what I'm after. I'm after the post-injury. Does all parts of the glute mead work well? Does all parts of the glute max work well? Does everything fire when it's supposed to? And then if you want to go train them and run them around, that's fine. If everything's been done on the front end, shouldn't have any problems if everybody knows
0: their job. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. I'm going to, we're going to end with this question (coughs) here. It's uh, more of your personal, a personal perspective, but looking forward into the future and what emerging trends or technologies do you actually see that might shape the future of, of our, you know, manual medicine or, you know, manipulation
2: modality wise. Yeah,
0: you know, how do you, how do you see our profession in the future or, or you know, the, the concept of, um, you know, our treatment approaches in, for musculoskeletal disorders? I mean,
2: I, I think that this newfound interest in fascia, mm-hmm. which is at its, at its infancy stages in this country, in my opinion, to the likes and help of, you know, Tom Myers and others. But, you know, we're 100 years behind the, the Europeans. They were talking about fascia and this fluid and stuff when Andrew because Andrew still started it all. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And that is we're gonna keep going through this process of an evolution of dissection and other things, which, mm-hmm. you know, depending on who you do dissection with, that carries its own set of pluses and minuses, not because of the skill of the actual dissection person, but because of how they prepare the body. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're using Unfortunately chiropractic school examples of the body that lasts for 6 months and everything's dry and desiccated you walk away from that body going, "Oh, I just need to treat it with a little bit more mustard," you know? <laughs> but you, but if you study dissection with some of these people around the world that are understanding like we want this thing to be as close as we possibly can to be right when they drop dead, <laughs> right. Then you don't yeah. put any chemicals in them and you only refrigerate them and they only last for 7 days. And you better get to work because that is what's walking into your office. That's right. Not the other kind.
1: Right.
0: Right on. You're right. Yeah. It's fantastic. Well, I'll tell you, this has been an extraordinarily wonderful, informative show. Thank you so much, Dr. Jason. Thank you for having me, guys. More than that, we look forward to seeing you next week in Vegas. That's right. That's right. We'll see you in Vegas.
1: Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Doc. We appreciate it. Thank you. you
2: thanks for having me. I
0: appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Crackin' Backs podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Krakenbacks podcast. Catch new episodes every Monday. See you next time.